Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Title Talk with Bob and Claude. Today, this podcast is brought to you by Texas Title University, educating the real estate community one class at a time. We are privileged today to have Chris Drum, Texas Title's president, and Alice Eckert, Texas Title's sales manager. Welcome, both of you. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. you guys happy to be here today? Yes, We're excited. Excited. <laughs> excited. I got my Texas Title socks on. <laughs> All right. Great, great gift for, uh, for, for the holidays. All right, Alice, why don't we break the ice with you? All right. All right, so tell us a little bit about how you got into title and how long you've been, uh, you've been in the title business. It's probably no different than most people. It was by chance. I had a sales job and someone had seen my production in sales and a little backstory to that. I used to work as a window washer with a, a friend of mine. She had a window washing company and we had children. And so what we would do is, you know, restaurants primarily. Uh, but we would do them from three to about six o'clock in the morning so that the kids were still home and we could get back in time before our husbands went to work. So it, we were all girls and we were in our 20s and we'd wear the company uniform, which was a little shorts and <laughs> t-shirt. And we would go to, to these various restaurants and do windows. And title people happened to be up early at that time. It was in Los Angeles and all the title people would go in and they'd have their breakfast. And it was primarily men. And they always knew when we were washing windows and they would show up that day. We actually got introduced to them and we you know, spoke to each other and, and uh, eventually we were recruited. Uh, several of us to go into sales. And that was the beginning, it was by chance. you know. And then my youngest had started school, so it was a perfect time for me to get into a career. And was that in, in Texas or where did you start? No, that was in Los Angeles. Although I am from Texas. You may be the only person that ever parlayed a window washing job <laughs> to a career in the title business. It's strange, but true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one no, before. I have many stories. Was the by chance the uniform by chance? Well, there may have been. <laughs> we were younger. It was a different era. Yes. yes. I don't know that things have changed, though. Uh, Chris, what about you? What drove you in the title business? I started out in the mortgage business right out of college. I actually knew Alice when I was in the mortgage business. And uh, my mentor at the time came to me and, and said, hey, you want to buy a title company? And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and that's how I got into the title business, um, kind of by chance as well. Right time, right opportunity. Once you're in, you, you don't get out. Kind of like the mafia. Exactly. I think everyone kind of has that weird story. Like, unless your parents were in the business, you never go and say, hey, this is for me, right? Unless you know somebody. Right. Alice, tell us about a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? I'm from Texas. I grew up in El Paso, you know, up until early high school. I think it was freshman year. We moved to San Diego. And from there, I graduated in, in San Diego. And then I got married right out of high school, way around the world and came back. So, so where, where did you go around the world? What's, what's your favorite place that you've lived or been? Fiji is my favorite. If it was in the United States, I would live in Fiji. I think we all would. <laughs> we would all move there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, we wouldn't get a lot of work done. No, but, but it was wonderful. Is that a vacation or did you live there? No, no, I lived there. You lived there? Yeah, lived in the outback of Australia, lived in Singapore, lived in Hong Kong, lived in Fiji, lived in Hawaii, La Jolla. So is there a... Is there a um, and now Springtown. A beach 
Is there? Is there? It seems like there's always an ocean or a beach theme here. It just worked out that way. But now I'm I'm for the first time uh, landlocked, and not even a swimming pool because I live on a hill, and we can't. We'd have to bring in too much dirt to level out the land to, to get a pool in. There's also a rumor that you happen to know somebody by the name of Eric Estrada. Can you yes. explain that one? Interesting how that how that happened. I was a sales rep for First American in Los Angeles, and I was making a call to Bank of America. I was was just out doing my route. There was an episode that was being uh, produced right in front of it, and it happened to be the Chips episode. Well, I was just waiting for them to get done so that I could, you know, go on with my my business. Eric's assistant, his name was Tony, uh, came over to me, and he said, Mr. Uh, Estrada would like to meet you. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. He must have have heard about your window (laughs) washing talents. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's interesting. I said, no. And he says, no, really? He says, this trailer's right over here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I um, went in and met him and um, took a liking to each other right away. And I don't know if you want, really know, want to know the rest of this story because... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it, it's actually... Oh. <laughs> um, what actually happened is he was so popular, every woman in the world wanted to be with Eric Estrada. They'd throw their keys, their... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other other items. Other, other gotcha, items gotcha. The difference with me is I didn't, and I wouldn't, and that just made him absolutely crazy. <laughs> and, and how long did that? About six months, and then we both got bored with it. And <laughs> <laughs> well, the CIA took you to a different different area. But you know, I was just like, no, you know, I may look easy, but no, it ain't happening. <laughs> that's an, that's a that's an interesting it story. Was, it's it's the flip, you know. You can have anybody in the world. What, what do you need me for? I mean, you can, I know. <laughs> Just to, to say you did, no. Chris, how about you? I'm, I'm sure you I haven't have dated Eric Estrada, but. Nothing um, to say after this. How about, how about you? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What brought you here? So I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is actually right next, right next door to El Paso. Went to school in Lubbock. I'm a Texas Tech Red Raider. Played tennis for Tech for three years. Graduated and moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and that's where I've been ever since. I'm a, I'm a, was a tennis player as well, not, not Division One, but uh, so Texas Tech, Division One. Any groupies in tennis at Texas Tech? Well, since I, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one to answer. <laughs> not for the Americans. So uh, if you were, yeah. if you were an American, you didn't have a whole lot of followers. But if you were, were European, Swede, if yeah. you were Swede, if you had an accent. Those West Texas girls, they, they just ate it up. I was a New Mexico boy. They had no interest in me. <laughs> but what, what was the best part about a, uh, being a Division One athlete? The food. The food was the best because we got to work out at the same times as the football team. And so as soon as workout was done, athletic dining would open. And they were just trying to feed the football players and the tennis players and the track athletes, we got to pick up off of the menu that the football players got to pick out. So steaks, lobster, crab legs. That was probably the best part about it. And then the year that you didn't play tennis, how was the food? The same, right? Well, (laughs) that, that shifted to a lot of late nights, uh, a lot of 50 cent tacos. I think the place was uh, wolf taco on Broadway, I think it was on Broadway in Lubbock, and that was the the two a.m., three a.m., maybe four a.m. tacos is where the food went after that. Yeah, it's it's funny once 
you're not needed by the school what they give you. Yeah, not a whole lot. <laughs> Piece of paper and, and out the door. Right. Or a bill. That's mostly what we, or my parents got that after, uh, after I was done playing tennis, they, they started receiving bills that they weren't accustomed to for, for going to class. And then after that, moved to Fort Worth. The only thing I would say about tennis, and I told this story the other day at uh, a conference I was speaking at, they said, tell us something that no one else knows about you. And I said, well, my claim to fame is, is I beat Andy Roddick. Nice. And so what, what year was that? I was 12 years old. Uh, <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're talking hey. junior tennis now. That doesn't count. <laughs> oh, it counts. <laughs> uh, we'll leave Andy Roddick alone. That's right. Because that's right. This is recorded. It right? is. We can edit that out. That's true. Well, speaking of, since you, um, Piqued my interest with Andy Roddick. We'll just go in a different direction. Okay. Married, kids. Married, married, two kids. Uh, married to a beautiful wife, Samantha. And I've got two little ones, a one and a half year old, Layton. And our oldest is Benjamin, little boy. And he is a whopping three years old. So my household is chaotic 24 hours a day. I kind of miss those days and I kind of don't. I will lease them to you anytime you want. I don't. How about, a le- how about a lease back? <laughs> I'll give you a lease back on the lease. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on how many days you take them. Um, none. I'll send them to grandma's. And, uh, and you also, you mentioned something yesterday. Your your son Ben is starting to get mail as well, right? Tell tell he, that interesting story. He did. Story. So we were we were just talking about this. There's an application that that most people have on their phone where you can get stuff in a day. I don't know what the oh, company's name is. We, we won't say it until they, we, they start we, paying us we for sponsorship. We won't say the company name. However, I did receive a toy catalog in the mail on Monday or Tuesday of this week that was addressed to my three-year-old son. So somebody is listening to the Somebody's little boxes on our, uh, <laughs> yep. on our mantles of what we're shopping for and, and more specifically what my three-year-old is shopping for. Yes, and I don't have any of those in my home because of that. Things three year olds, three year olds, or, uh, or listening no, no, devices. That, that, those devices uh, <laughs> that, that uh, listen into everything you're doing. So, Alice, tell us about your, you know, you're, you're married and tell us about your kids and yes. all that stuff. Yes, I'm married. I have five children, 14 grandchildren, and uh, we are also very chaotic. We have at least two birthdays a month that we have to celebrate, and uh, it's just a busy time. Uh, helping all of them. They all get piano lessons from me, and they uh, I've got four now that are pretty well on their way. i got four more to go. So the first house I bought, since we are talking title, was here in Fort Worth. I was 24 years old, and part of the reason I got into title is because my grandmother owned two homes, and she always told us never to miss our mortgage payment, and, and that did happen to us. Our electricity was turned off, our water would be turned off, our neighbor would throw their garden hose over so that we could get water to do the essential things that we needed, but the mortgage payment always got paid. And so she just instilled that in us the entire time. And so I I wanted to be a part of that in some small way. And Title has given me that vehicle to, to be able to help somebody get into a home, even though we work in Title. I do very little of the title. I do more of helping our clients build their business and help others get into homes. So that's a, that's a good segue. So getting back to more of the title side is what is it about our industry that is most rewarding to you? It depends on which part you're working in. You know, currently I'm in, on the sales side. And for me, on the sales side, it's helping to bring out the best in, in the salespeople, helping them get in, to the potential that they need to be. 
at, but also the achievements that others are able to achieve during the process of, of the relationship building that we have with, you know, with our current clients and prospects. Chris, same question for you. What, what about title makes it makes you get up every day? I don't know if it's specific to title, more so the industry as a whole um, for me. And I heard this <clears throat> from a gentleman I worked for straight out of college. He's now the president of Colonial Savings, David Motley. And he said at a conference that, that he was speaking at, and I happened to be there, he did say, what we do changes people's lives. At the time, I think I was, well, oh, 25 or 26 at the time. I think I, I first heard him say that, and it didn't really mean a whole lot at the time. And now I think it means everything. We are the last stop in the process. We close, we facilitate some of the biggest decisions that, anyone can make in their life. And I think the rewards that we see, not only just the people that, that we're servicing, but to see our employees actually receive joy, see the successes that they get out of this for really changing someone's lives and being a part, being a small part of it uh, is what I think what drives me in this business. Good answer. Like Thank that. you. Yep. All right, Alice, switching gears. Yes. You have a lot of costumes. I do. Tell us a little bit about your costume collection and how it started. Eric Estrada. Eric. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Well, win window washing was the first. Yes. Right? That, that's, the co that's, where, that's where it started. My favorite this year happened to be the Pilgrim outfit. I think you oh pulled that goodness. off Thank really you. well. I appreciate that. Thank you. And that seemed to be your least favorite. It was. I just struggled with it. You could see that I was struggling with it. Well, there's a, there's an interesting story about that one, which if if you'd like to tell about how you, I think you wore it backwards. Oh well, yeah, I had problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> when I purchased it, it was it fit, but the night before our meeting, where, that I where I wore it, um, I washed it because I didn't want that you know fresh costume smell that kind of gives you a headache. And I went ahead and, and washed it and dried it, and during the process of drying, it shrunk. Oh, shrinkage is bad. It was horrible, and I couldn't get it zipped up. We just couldn't zip it up, and as I was taking it off, I kind of flipped it around and zipped it up the front. It zipped up, and I don't know the science behind how that worked, because I would think it would, wouldn't the way that I'm looking at it anyway. <laughs> well, it you could pull, be, it you could be it off well. It could be the fit's different. <laughs> you pulled it off real well. And so thank you. I, and so I just tucked the, the top of it under and put my little collar on, and off I went. But what I found out is that people, they do enjoy, you know, certain, everybody works so hard that, that we forget to have a little bit of fun. And I always like to have a little bit of fun. And, and sometimes it takes getting into a costume to do it. Throughout my, my career, I, I would go out in the field and in, in, on the sales side, and I always got a, a great review for the various things, you know, that, that I would do throughout the seasons. And it's just continued. It's been a fun thing for me. Maybe a frustrated actress. I don't know. <laughs> Did you ever do any acting? I have done some acting uh, on, on different occasions. It never went anywhere, but it was, yes, to answer your question, mostly, so, mostly local. Okay. Know. So how many costumes do you have in your collection? And what is your favorite? It's got to be somewhere close to 100. And my favorite is probably my Valentine costume. And what is that? Have it, we seen Have we no, seen that? We haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not <laughs> one for the masses. And there's, and there's several versions <laughs> of it. But I have one that I like. It's just a great big heart. 
I've used that one many times and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Chris, any costumes in your closet? Yeah. I have absolutely zero <laughs> costumes in my closet. Do you like to get dressed up and just, you know, I, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> my costume consists of a button up shirt and some slacks. We let Alice handle all the costumes and, and, and hard, hard to rival that one. She, she, she's got some costumes that, uh, I just great. don't look good in spandex. You know? <laughs> no, that's true. You know, I, that is true. You'd be surprised. You might. You know, I got chicken legs. <laughs> oh, no. All right. So, Chris, you went from being a competitive tennis player to golf. When did you make that transition? Have you always been a golfer? My dad was a big golfer. I was always a golfer. Um, just never started playing competitively until after tennis. But always been a golfer. Loved it. Was a golfer, tennis player, basketball player. So when I was deciding on schools, it was either go play Division One tennis or go play Division Three basketball or be a clipboard holder on a Division One basketball team, <laughs> which you typically see a certain look sitting at the end of the bench. In <laughs> the, the frustration? The frustration. <laughs> Meaning the, I, I could be that guy if they could only see my talent? If they, yeah, if I would only be three inches taller and, and 50 pounds heavier and could jump and run. I have those conversations a lot with my son. I hear that. I hear Although that. he's, um, he can jump and run. He just needs three inches taller. If we were all three inches taller, it'd be much better. Right. I, I think I need about eight, nine. <laughs> but you, I, you I, I got what few, you're saying. Yeah, 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 I need a few more yeah, than that. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Southpaw, though. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, I'm not sure how that helps in basketball, but that's it, right. it did help in tennis for a while. But not, not growing those three, four inches when I hit 15, 16 became really tough to compete. Yeah. But, but golf is my sport now. I don't I don't play basketball anymore. Play tennis every now and again just to get some exercise, but golf is my sport. My wife absolutely hates it. Most uh, famous golfer you've played with? That's a tough one. Or your favorite, let's put it that way. My favorite golfer. So actually the most entertaining was Pat Perez last year uh, in the Colonial Pro-Am. He was the most entertaining. He is, he is truly, I think, the bad boy of golf. He's a guy that is really good that absolutely has no business being on a golf course. <laughs> kind of like John Daly, right? Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, so listening and talking to him for, for nine holes was, was entertaining. Probably the, the coolest experience on a golf course was last year. I played Preston Trail in Dallas here. And most people at, at Preston Trail know that, that George Bush plays just about every day. And I walked into the clubhouse and kind of in the main dining room there, there's two staircases. And there was gentlemen standing at each staircase, looked like golfers, dressed like golfers, weren't talking, weren't smiling, weren't moving. And I had no idea what was going on. And I turned around and George Bush was sitting behind me with his feet up on the desk or on the table. And he went out before us and there was secret service guys a hole in front of him, a hole behind him, and all of them were running. None of them were in a golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the coolest thing. Because we're on the, all in the title business, and, and most people don't know a lot about it, what are some of the biggest changes that have happened since you started in the industry to today? And what do you think the biggest changes going forward probably in the next five years will be, or 10 years? Number one, technology. On both sides? Yep. It's just, it, it's changed the face of how it's done. It's still the same thing, but the technology has changed going to, a, to needing a full plant and, and going back 
through books or through fish or for whatever you know you had to do in the beginning to what they do today. It's amazing. Well, I think people don't realize as well, just thinking in 2000 when you were doing a settlement statement and sending it to the lender and sending it to the real estate agent, you had to print it, fax it, mm-hmm. wait for them to call you with them handwriting changes and fax it back because very few people used email. Exactly. And most of the technology for the title side, you could not email the documents. Right. And even when we were doing closings, if it was in the month and there was a change, we had to wait for someone to bring them to us. Where nowadays we take it for granted that everything's so fast, everything's so quick, anyone can work from anywhere. And going forward, I think the big change we're going to see is the buyer, seller, borrower will not even leave their house and no one will go to the house. Everything will be a notary, but virtual, virtual, correct. Which for us, we feel that you lose the experience and that's kind of what we try to build, you know, with the company, but it gets so people are, their time is so important to them that if the lenders or the, you know, don't do that, they feel they're going to miss out. With technology though, is what, what I tend to see is a less personal aspect to what we do. And in sales, do you find that both salespeople and customers, they're still wanting that personal touch. It's easy to send off an email. It's easy to leave a voicemail. It's easy to text. But what about that, that personal touch and the, and the relationship that you build with your customer? The one thing that doesn't change is that people still want to talk to a person at some point in that transaction. They've got to look eyeball to eyeball to somebody. As comfortable as they are, as much as they want things to go quickly and all the conveniences that are available today, eventually they want to speak to somebody and they want to have somebody that they can trust. And so that's something so basic that I don't ever see that changing. But it, but do you find it a challenge with some of the salespeople you work with? Instead of making a phone call and reaching out and trying to create that first touch, it's an email, it's a text message, it's something impersonal? Uh, I think that's the first line of effort is if I don't have to talk to them, I can just email them or call them or leave a message and they avoid that piece. And then when that doesn't work, they eventually have to talk, to get in front of somebody and talk to them. Or they give up. Or they give right. up. But somebody else is. If, right. they're, if they're not, their competitor's in front of them. I think you've seen more sales tactics being taught in today's world opposed to people just being good salespeople. I think if you went back possibly a few generations, people were just good at sales naturally because they didn't have the crutch of technology and email, texting, cell phones. They had to be face-to-face. You had to learn how to talk to people. And I think we don't have that as much in today's world as as it was previously. Would you agree with that? I I agree. There just doesn't seem to be that fire in the belly, right? that desire to get out and and, uh, get in front of people and, and do the job that needs to be done. Uh, much more laid back, much more convenient oriented, hoping it lands in their lap. Uh, so there, there's a lot of discussion about what you actually have to do. And, you know, you have to be driven. Well, I think you're really good at that specifically with our, with our folks is holding them accountable to their actions, their time spent, 
what they're actually doing in the field, which is creating more of that face-to-face. The difficult part is that you, ha- you have to meet them where they're at. Because if I, I come into where I think they should be, I lose them. I have to meet them where they're at, and they have to go through the process to find out that their process doesn't work. Because if, if I explain to them what needs to be done, they think their way is the right way. And until they do their way, and it isn't, and then they try, and I, and I will just tell them, look, just try it my way. If it doesn't work, then go back to your way. And then when they see that it does, and they're like, oh. Isn't that the hardest thing in business? at least for me, is to see that everyone doesn't see the same thing that I do or even care about it the same way as I do. And uh, to your point was meeting them at where they're at. It's, it's a hard. challenge, right? It's hard. You have the ability to do that in, in, in working with them instead of just saying, okay, well, you'll never get to where you need to be. You know, the patience of doing that is a great asset. What most people don't realize, that if they don't know Alice, is that she works at least like 27, 28 hours a day. In doing that, you know, I think the example that you set for the other folks, they, they tend to try to rise to that level. And it's 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 daunting task for all of them, I would say. Right. She did sleep in today, though. I did. I slept till five. Til five. Did you really? I did. That's why the email didn't go. My, my alarm, my alarm didn't go off today, and I woke up at uh, five thirty-five. I was very disappointed. I told my wife, I said, "I feel like I'm behind already." Yeah. So we've got some rapid-fire questions yeah. that we can. We'll we'll ask you guys, kind of make this a way of people getting to know you in a way that we're not just saying, "Hey, tell us about yourself," and sometimes just tell us whatever. Yeah. First thing is, is if you could have dinner with any two people in the world, past or present, who would it be? Chris. Present Donald Trump. Okay. Just because I want to hear the SHIT that comes out of that guy's <laughs> It would be an interesting dinner. Oh, sure. Uh, and, and it would be together, so you'd be three of you. Right. And then Michael Jordan. Alice? I'm going with my mom. I, I miss her. Uh, and Jesus, I'd love to have a dinner Ooh. with Jesus. Ooh. Would it be the last supper, though? Or would it, be, would it just be a meal? Go strong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in on this one. I would have... Uh, I think Michael Jordan would would be a good one. And then I would go with uh, my um, maternal grandfather. I was too young to get to know him. And and I think think the conversation today would be very different than than what I remember. So those those would be mine. Bob? Always my grandfather or my grandmother. And depending on if, since we get to do this often, I can pick different people. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But like, then it would be... I know Phil Nike would be someone I'd like to. Uh, right. I'd yes. like to sit down yeah. to figure out like how he took the idea and built what he did, right? And then he can probably bring Michael Jordan. So yeah. we right. 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 Anyway. or Steve Prefontaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. or Jesus. I mean, right. you know, okay. he, he could he could bring it's them all. The stories forward. Michael Jordan <laughs> probably has in his uh, in his lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Tiger Woods probably got a couple of good stories himself. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's got a few. He's yeah. got a few. All right, what is the top thing on your bucket list? Alice? This is like so uh, elementary, just uh, debt-free. I don't even want to go anyplace. I've been to places. I just need to be debt-free. Debt-free. That's a it's coming. Strong. I'm, I'm almost there. Wimbledon. Play or, or are you talking about playing <laughs> Wimbledon? Or I, I would like to go to Wimbledon. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 I'm just, I'm just checking. Like but yeah, bucket list of, uh, I've been once and it is, an unbelievable experience. Every year I say, next year, babe. This is it. Next year, babe. And so <laughs> now now it's, 
let's just wait till the kids are a little bit older and uh, bring the kids, make it a memorable experience. Yeah. What about you guys? I think if I won the lottery, I'd be all right. Bucket list lottery? Yeah. Not really, but I don't know. This. I've been fortunate enough to get most of the things that I wanted because I didn't have really high expectations. So, the you know. Qu- the question would be, what would you do if you won the lottery? Because obviously you can't give up work. That's a crazy question. So what would I do? Um, I would look at a lot of really nice cars and tell my wife that I wanted to buy them. There you go. That would be a great thing. And then she would say, you're never going to do it. And I would probably say, you're right. Then I'd hoard it all and uh, be miserable. <laughs> That's probably. Okay. Right. No, but I, I'd, buy a, I'd buy a beach house somewhere. Fiji would be good. It would be. Maybe give me some pointers. You need, then you'd you take the, the jet because you need a jet to get there. <laughs> well, that, but I'd have to get, and that's not a car, so technically that's okay. I would, I would do that. Well, it depends on how much. How much the lottery is. Yeah, right? I mean, if it was like a lot, right. then I'd have to get my wife a house in the mountains because she's not really a beach person. Mm. So a really could, big lottery. You need, you need like a couple hundred million, right? That would do it. <laughs> and then we could, we, could, we could just... We could have the kids, you know, with us, and we could just homeschool. Well, no, I'd wait till they, they could stay at home with a nanny, and we would just travel. I just want to hitch a ride to one of these places. Yeah. Uh, um, my bucket list, I have Tokyo's on my bucket Tokyo? list. Tokyo? Yep. Oh, cool. Never, never been to Asia. It's on, to, Tokyo's on, uh, it's, it's on my list. All right, Chris, describe yourself in three words. Wow. Um, That's one. <laughs> um, that's two. Let's see, wow and huh. Three words. How about energetic, generally happy? So that's two words. Well, we can combine right. it into bad grammar. You, what, gen, ha- gen hap. Gen we'll, hap. We'll gen hap that. Gen hap it. And proud. Oh, very good. Alice? Alice? This is like the hardest thing to do, yeah. right? To talk about yourself, yeah. and especially in, in this way. I have one word three, tra- three times. Driven, driven, driven. I agree. I think that's a good word for you, Alice. I think that that's, sums it up <laughs> Thank you. Pre- pretty, pretty well. Uh I like this question. Where would you go if you were invisible? Chris? Where would I go if I was invisible? Remember, it's a podcast we can edit. Try to keep it clean. <laughs> and your wife will probably listen. <laughs> How about, sorry, Samantha. No. He's already apologizing. I'm already apologizing. He's retracted the apology. Retraction the apology was that you've already done the damage because now you're going to have to explain it. Now you have to tell us. If I were invisible, the Oval Office when JFK was president. Mm. Really good one. I need more time. All right, need more time. So we'll, we'll, we'll rapid fire to the next one. Oh, yeah, that wasn't so rapid, was it? No. <laughs> uh, favorite book? Bible. I'm, I'm seeing a theme. Yes. There, there, there's a part of me that I don't generally talk about, but just answering. Chris? It's a tough one to follow. It really is a tough one to follow. Yeah, I mean, if you don't go Bible, you're... Dictionary? <laughs> the source. Well, I had to go. I had to do Gen Hap earlier, so it's obviously not the dictionary. <laughs> you know, I don't. Oh, I do have a favorite book. It is. Um, I have to think of the name of it right quick. It is. No, you gonna Google it for yeah, me? Google what is it? Who's it by? It's. Uh, man, how about you, Claude? What's your favorite book? While we. Rapid fire. My favorite book. Um, I, so favorite. Art I don't of know if War. It's, which one? Art of War. Are you just? Mm. All right, I'll go another way. It's okay. I would go. Um, I, favorite book because it, it at the time I read it, it, it kind of resonated with me at the time. I'm, I'm going to go Moby Dick. 
I'm going to confess I've never read it. I can it's, confess I probably read the Cliff Notes. It's not it's not an easy read, but but it's it's pretty good. Nowadays I just read the Cliff Notes. I know a really good I'd, one too. Audio book it. Yeah. It the book. For the the same same it the movie but same, the book the book really Stephen King right Stephen King mm. yeah you know it's the book yeah the um, for me if I really think about I don't know if you guys have ever read the art of the deal yeah yep. the deal and that was yep. a Donald Trump book Donald back Trump in the eighties yeah yep before he became Donald Trump <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> <laughs> yeah that guy of the nineties and the two but that was <laughs> character figure I was in I was in New York and in, in if I think it was freshman year and read it and I was like. Whatever I need to do, I need to do that. That was like the first self-help book of, of my life type thing. So that was a pretty good That's one. That's a great book. Too. There's a it's, good it's one it. for the salespeople, though, too. It is The Art of War, yep. but they overlay it. So page by page is oh, nice. sales mm-hmm. and how sales can follow The Art of War, and it's page by page. I need pretty that. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Uh, did we do favorite food? Favorite food. Well, we, we're still waiting on Sorry, Invisible. we're still waiting Visible. for you, Invisible. All right, we'll get back. We'll, we'll come back to that come one. Back to that one. All right, favorite, favorite food. food? Tortillas, I mean. Okay. <laughs> cereal. Anything Good. I can eat with the cereal. tortillas. What kind of cereal? Cereal. What kind? At the moment? Yes. It's a, that's a moving target. Oh, yeah. no. It's a live. Always uh, a Honey Nut Cheerios is always the. Those are I had that last night for dessert. <laughs> Golden Grams is number one all time. Okay. Oh. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and then it goes back and forth between like cornflakes, boring. And cookie, and cookie crisps. Oh, cookie crisps. Yeah. Nice. Bob, favorite food? Hamburger. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, right? <laughs> well, that's why I eat it like seven times a week. Oh, dear. I heard meat was good at some point for you. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things, but I don't really like to wait. And have so, you tried the Impossible Whopper yet? Because it's not meat, I have not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but I have sat next to somebody who did. Uh, so that's about as close as I'm getting. I, I will try it, though, one time. I would have to go with steak, red meat, hamburgers. I'll, you know, I'll go that route. Uh, Chris, what was the best advice you ever received? Listen first. Speak later. That's from my mother. That was interesting. I, someone told me once, it's better to be interested than interesting. I have a hell of a problem with that. <laughs> I don't brother, always follow the advice. Yeah, I was going to say, it was right. great advice. It is my, good advice. My, my it's mother, hard, hard to follow. Yeah. My mother gave me sim- similar advice to that, but it started with shut up. Yeah. So maybe it was the other. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that I talk too much. But Alice? I'm not too far from all of you. Do what your mother tells you to do. That's the best advice. Just do what she says, and you won't have any problem. And she, was, and she was right most of the time. <laughs> uh, the best advice I ever received is think before you talk. And that's not an easy one to follow as well. No. Right. Oh, no. You know, it just takes a few dep- depositions <laughs> to realize. Oh, man, I said that. Let me rephrase that. Under oath, it's easier to do that. Take a couple breaths before you answer. Yeah. Or the, the new version of what they told me was don't hit send. Yes. 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 Don't hit send. Yep. When, when you're firing off that email yep. that you you know mm-hmm. might turn up in a deposition one day yep. and you go, don't I probably shouldn't have oh, that. Right? Yeah. That was yep. bad. I've, I've used that one, wrote an emotionally... Uh, an emotional Outward. email out of anger, hit it, put it in drafts, and then yeah. delete it. Yeah. yeah, it's probably it's probably that's that's that'd be like second. Read it the next day. Read it the next day. See, see yeah. if it, it, it still really makes lies. sense, right? And if it, if it's still 
you know, it's still applicable or, or it, after a second read or have someone else read it. Yeah. And if it's, if it's still appropriate, send it, if not, Pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I always yeah, the same no, thing. Yeah, no. I always, I, once, once you see one of those emails given to you out of context and you're trying to explain what it really was, you realize, yeah, don't do that anymore. It doesn't matter how. how. And the that problem is, is when you're doing it, God, you think you're right. <laughs> you know, oh, you're so right. And then afterward right. you do it and you're like, oh. Well, any emotion that you have typing that email is <laughs> yeah, not going right. to be the emotion the recipient right. has. And, and, they're, uh, and they're going to splice out yeah. part of the email that they're going to use say, against you. Yeah, this said. is what he said. Yeah, yeah that one know. sentence that will haunt you forever. Right. Um, what is the one item you could not live without? Chris? It's terrible. Phone. Alice? My car. I drive 200 miles a day. That's well, a tough question. One item I couldn't live without. Probably car. Bob? I don't know, since I wrote this down. <laughs> That's, a tough, que- That's yeah. a tough question. For an attorney, you're supposed to know the answer to the question before you ask it. No, normally they have someone else who tells you. I guess I could live without my phone if I won the lottery, so we really wouldn't need that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're off the grid. Uh, maybe a watch, because it drives me crazy when people are late. Yeah. And they like to be on time. That's, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a problem that I've... I've as I've become my dad, you know, it's one of those things. It just, it's like, you know, always, but I'm working on it. All right. We're going back to you, uh, Alice. Where would you go if you were invisible? Fort Knox. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Would you, would you remove some of the uh, bullion with you? I just want to see if it's real. Is it true? Area 54. Yeah, Area 54, that type of thing. They've probably been there already. If there, was, if there was something that you could tell a new person coming in the title business, what would your best advice be for them? Don't do it. It depends on what they're doing. Well, let's just say they're getting into, let's say for, for you, they're getting into sales. sales. Yeah. Or they're getting into the escrow side. It wouldn't, I don't think it would matter. It, each piece is different. Uh, on the sales side, the one thing that I can't give salespeople is time in the field. And that really is critical because people build their trust with someone over time. So I would just tell them you've got to be consistent and and you've got to wait your time to where you have those relationships because it's not going to be overnight. That's That's one of the things that I think is underestimated when somebody comes into sales is title sales is so different than any other sales job software, medical devices, cars, whatever it is, is the process A is different and B, the amount of time it takes, I think people underestimate. And, and do you see that with a- salespeople? Absolutely. And it's an intangible. We, we are offering a service where in other industries, there, there's a, a product that they, that's tangible and, and ours is intangible. So it's a service. And, and the biggest part of it is, is the clients that you have to have that relationship with and it all goes back to that trust again that's just so critical for anybody to want to be able to do business with you because we we have a fiduciary responsibility in the product that that we offer and and then the process of that entire piece it makes a huge difference if if you are responsible or not with that customer's business chris how about you i would say Take the time for for new folks coming in. I'd say take the time to learn the process. And what I mean by process is just learn the business as a whole. 
you don't have to be, if you're in sales, you don't have to be an expert in title, but I think you do have to be an expert in the industry. You have to know what it actually looks like to open and close a transaction from the origination side to the title side, to the survey side, to the home warranty side, understand all facets of it and be an expert in your field, whatever that is, as it relates to the title business. So take time and learn, be patient. Yeah. No, knowing, knowing the business, you, you can't sell something you don't know. You know, we, we try to let all of our employees know is, is the more, you know, the more knowledge you have, especially when we're selling service, the, the better you can do your, your job. Focus on being good at what you're good at. And if you're good at sales and you're coming into title, learn the industry as a whole so you can sell it. If you're coming in as a receptionist or an escrow officer or an examiner, take the time to learn what that process is and focus on being good at what you're supposed to be good at. Right. I think another side of it, too, is, is treating it as it's your own business, because in, a, in this is truly in this business is that's your value. Right. So whether you're in sales or in escrow or whatever it may be is look at it as, is this a smart business move for me or my brand? And then how do I parlay that to the next sale or next closing and in, in growing the business? Because it's all relationships and people forget that over a period of time, you run into people all the time and you look back and you go, why didn't I keep in touch with that person three, four years ago? God, my life would have been a lot easier or if I kept in touch with the one 10 years ago who now owns the, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, yeah. and people forget, and we, we're, all, we're all guilty of it. We walk into places all the time, and you know, it's like, hey, jo- you haven't seen you in five years. And, you know, we preach it all the time, and we don't do it, but yeah. it's, uh, it's a tough thing to do. Chris, 2020 is around the corner. What's your one goal for Texas title in 2020? One goal for Texas title. That's narrowing it down to one. I think that talked about this this morning as it relates to education, obviously, focusing more on our employees from an internal training perspective. Um, I think we've spent the last two years really focusing on educating our customers, providing, providing value for our customers. I think as the company has obviously grown over the last several years, we're now at, at a point where I think we need to be providing more value to our, to our staff. Alice, same question. The biggest um, goal that I would have, of course, is for the salespeople, and it's helping them move their mindset from where they're at to where they need to be. Because I, I go over with them, you can't get to where you need to be doing what you're currently doing. So it's working that, that mindset to get them to the next level up. Okay. Let's flip it. As owners of the company, where do you want to see Texas <coughs> Title be in, in 2020? I would agree with you, Chris. I think we've, we've done a really good job at building our university platform for our customers. Um, And what I think we're starting to see is that if we can take what we've created from a outward perspective and bring it internally to to our, our employees and provide them training and provide them resources that they can grow personally, uh, I think that would be a good goal for 2020. Obviously we'd like to see, you know, revenue increase. Right. Um, but, but generally I, w- I would, I think, I think 2020 and employee growth uh, is kind of our, our, you know, a goal that we should have for sure. <clears throat> Obviously we'd love to grow the company and, and open more offices. But I think when we all sit down and we talk about what, what's the most important thing 
that fosters all the growth and is to have a company where people love to work. And we talk about it all the time. As we grow, it becomes harder and harder. So kind of getting back to where we, when we initially started the company and having foster an environment where, where people say, I'm happy to be here and we don't have turnover and we have people that are calling us because they want to join what we're, we're building. That to me would be the best thing if they can love it like I do. That way growth is organic anyway. We're going we're gonna to build it the right way. We've been very fortunate with our employees and, and retaining employees in 2020, recognizing that, I, I, as Bob said, we'll grow, we'll grow the business right. by itself. All right, so one of the things we were talking about was what we're going to do is for the guests, unless, Bob, you have any more questions for no, us? <clears throat> I think we're good. All right, any questions for us? Good. No. So, <laughs> so we're gonna. So as guests, we appreciate you being here today. This is fun. Uh, we are going to leave a question for our next guest. So, Chris, what's your question for our uh, for our next podcaster? Tell us something unique that no one else knows about you. Good question. And I flip it. Looking forward to a great answer. And I, and I flip it. Tell us something unique that no one knows about you. Well, I already said it earlier, but now everybody knows. I beat Andy Roddick. Oh, okay. Alice? <clears throat> but did you meet Brooklyn Decker? No. Not at 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a twin. Oh. I didn't did know, not that. know that. All right. Episode oh, okay. one is in the books. Thank you, guys. Appreciate fun. it. That was fun. To the next one.